Again, we'll be reading Psalm 77, so please uh, follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I mourn. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord span forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and, jo and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth th thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what's up? That's the Oxology Church. You guys doing all right? Yeah. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Y'all can be a little more vocal than that. I don't know if to say good afternoon or good. What is it? Is it afternoon or evening? It's evening. All right. There it is. Good evening. That says Pastor Steve. Uh, for those of you that had never met me, my name is Jeff. Uh, I am formerly the pastor of Transit Church, a sister church of yours. My family moved from North Carolina, where I was on staff at a large church 10 years ago, and uh, brought a few military families with us and started the Transit Church in Alexandria, not too far from here. Recently, I stepped down from that, and I now am uh, the director of church planting for a ministry called Leaders Collective. So I get to travel the country helping people, like Steve, for the most part, uh, think about what it means to endure in ministry as a person that's starting a church. So that's uh, just a privilege to get to to, to pastor, pastor, so to speak. Um, why am I here? I'm here, obviously, because Steve invited me. Uh, more importantly, I'm one of your elders. Uh, that sounds kind of strange because you don't see me that often. I'm a provisional elder for you as your church grows as a young church plant uh, and are raising up your own internal elders. What I do is I serve kind of on a, a, a board-like um, um, setting for Steve to give him um, reach back for those who have been in ministry to uh, come alongside him as your church is growing. So that really is uh, my role here. Um, although you don't see me very often, I have the privilege of talking to Steve and getting texts from him. And, and so from afar, I get to see the maturation of your church and how you've endured through this last year and and, and all of that. And so I uh, know that it's a privilege of mine to be with you all today. It's a privilege to, to get to see how, um, how you're growing and, and maturing in, 
uh, in your, your growth as a, as a young church here in Arlington. And uh, know that I'm always praying for you. All right. So we're going to be in Psalm 77 tonight. And uh, I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll jump into God's word. So pray with me. Father, we, uh, we're here because uh, you are here and you're here because we are here. You say where two or three are gathered together. There you are in our midst. And so we acknowledge your presence amongst us. We pray very simply, Lord, that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see and hearts to receive what you would have for us in this song. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen and amen. So let me begin with this. Here's a here's an important thought. Um, if we only had happy songs to sing, then most of us, those of us in this room, people around the world would only I mean, we wouldn't have songs to talk about the majority of our lives if we only had happy songs to sing. And the reason why is because the majority of our lives for, for many of us, a great portion of our lives, we bear some really tough things, even unbearable things. Think for a second of all the times that you found yourself in a situation and you didn't have the words to pray. What's your first reaction? I don't have the words to pray. I'm like life is it feels like it's strangling me to death. I think for many of us, our first reaction is we jump on social media, don't we? And we might um, pour out our heart on Facebook or, or Instagram with a little sad picture, hoping that amongst our dozens or hundreds of followers, someone's going to uh, express some kind of empathy towards us and say something that might comfort us, even if a little bit. We might text somebody. We might actually be bold enough to pick up the phone and talk to someone. But it's our first reaction to turn to Scripture or to talk to God. I think that's the importance of the Psalms. The Psalms fill in for us uh, many of the gaps that exist in our life when our words are few. The Psalms are important because it gives us a means to both pray and to sing words to God when we don't have the words ourselves. And so today we're looking at Psalm 77. It's a psalm of lament. One author defined lament as this, a loud cry, a howl. Think about that. When's the last time that you've howled in any kind of conversation, particularly conversation oriented toward God? Uh, a, A lament can be a passionate expression of grief. Throughout the scriptures, lament gives voice to strong emotions that we sometimes feel when we are in pain when we're suffering. Lament wrestles with the struggles of our lives and typically asks one of two questions. Lord, where are you? And and if you're even anywhere close to me, anywhere near me, why am I going through the things that I'm going through? Perhaps you've been there in your life. And yet what we see that the Psalms demonstrate in the midst of this lament is that part of the Part of the thing that lament does for us, it gives us a pathway to hope. In the process of of pouring out our complaints to God, lament becomes the prayer in our pain that leads us to trust in God more. So as we look at this psalm, I want to pour, I want to focus on four things that I think the psalmist is is helping us to to see. And the first thing is the thing I think is the major emphasis of this psalm. And it's simply the, 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 the encouragement to keep praying. Because when we lament, basically what you're doing is you're pushing your heart towards God in the midst of the difficulties of your life. 
You're pushing your heart, thrusting your heart towards God in the midst of your pain. And the way that we do that is through our prayers. And so for one of us to learn how to lament means that we must also resolve that we're going to actually talk to God. So in verse one, the psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. So a couple of things to notice here in these first couple of verses, the psalmist is in some kind of pain. But though he's in pain, he's not silent. He, he says he's praying aloud. That means out loud. But he's not just praying out loud. He's crying. I like how Eugene Peterson in the message translation of the Bible says it. He says, I yell out to my God. I yell out with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. Ever done that in a prayer towards God? And the message translation says he listens. And so if this man were praying in his own house, nobody in that house would have been unaware that he was praying, praying a heartfelt prayer full of emotion. They would have heard him pleading with God. And the thing is, Hebrews 5 tells us this is the very thing that Jesus does as he hangs on the cross. Listen to these words from Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. What do we see Jesus actually doing what the writer of Hebrews is talking about? We see him hanging on the cross. He, Jesus actually expresses what we know of as Psalm 22, a lament that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus offering up his own lament. To the Lord, with loud cries and tears, lifted up his voice to God. And so the psalmist is helping us to know that our prayer in lament needs to be earnest. Jesus himself offered reverence, although he was divine, he offered reference to, uh, reverence to God the Father. But it also needs to be verbal. That means words need to come out of our mouths. It's one of the means of expression that helps us to find comfort when we're experiencing the dark night of our soul. I think more than that, it says that prayers of lament take faith. To offer a prayer in our pain, out loud, crying, howling out to God, it takes faith because to pray in our pain in the middle of the messy struggle of life and when we have more questions than we probably have answers requires us to open up our hearts actually to God. And for some of us, that can feel a little bit too honest. That's more, that's more transparent than I might want to be. Not only transparent, it might feel too open, it might feel too risky. But there's actually something that would be far worse than being too open, honest, and transparent with God, and that's to live in silent despair, to turn our backs on God, to to give God the silent treatment, to hold in our angst and our anger and live hopelessly in resignation that God doesn't hear me, he doesn't care about me, or perhaps he just doesn't want to respond. I wonder how many of us have stopped speaking to God about our pain, just being real with God. Like, Lord, this is the situation I'm in and and, and hear me as I cry out to you. Perhaps some of you today are disappointed by unanswered prayer, regardless of how simple it is. You articulate that you need something, want something, 
to happen in your life, in the lives of someone that you know, a family member or a friend, and it doesn't come to pass. And so you're frustrated because of your out of control circumstance. I think it's easy to to wind up in a, a spiritual kind of desert, unable or perhaps even refusing to talk to God. One author says silence can be a killer. It is a soul killer. We're so pent up that it's almost like a, a kettle with a top on it. It's going to, at some point, either whistle, letting you know the, the, the water is at its tipping point, or it's going to blow the top completely off. And oftentimes our lives can feel like that. Silence can become a soul killer. And the more silent we are, the more numb, callous, and indifferent we can become. So the encouragement from the psalmist, firstly, is to start praying again. The psalmist also encouraged us to pray our struggles. Look at verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I, rem- I-, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot even speak. This is a psalm of Asaph. This is the third iteration or the third book of psalms. And the first, very first few are all psalms of Asaph. You looked at one last week as well. And assuming that Asaph is writing, is articulating about a situation in his own life, the psalmist is at, he's slow, so low at this point that the very thought of God is troubling him. I'm just imagining what he's going through. Perhaps he doesn't know what God is doing in his circumstance. Perhaps he can't even begin to explain it. But what we know about Asaph's situation, his circumstance, the moment that he's in, is that he's puzzled by what's happening in his life. He very likely feels very far from God, as if the Lord is against him. And so the very thought of God troubles him. I think when I read this, it gives the suggestion that the trouble that he's actually in perhaps may come from God, as in a trial or a test that God is bringing him through to get him to some growth or maturity in his life, to get him to the other side. And so Asaph, he's praying. There seems to be no comfort. And he prays again. And, and it's, it seems like his prayers aren't working. They're hitting a ceiling. For whatever reason, whatever he's feeling and saying and articulating to God, it's not getting to the God that he knows can, can actually help him. And again, I think the, the thing to note is that the psalmist is still praying. And, and what this conveys to us is, is probably more than anything, is, is that though you might lament, it doesn't lead to an immediate solution. Don't we want that to happen sometimes? Like something's going on either in my life or someone that's close to me. And I just want to offer up a simple prayer to God. All right, Lord, like I'm really, this is, we're in a tight spot. Can, can you help? I'm not snapping my fingers saying like, just make this happen like you're a genie in a bottle, but I do really need your help. But the lament teaches us that sometimes it does not lead to an immediate solution. It doesn't always bring a quick fix. It's not always a timely answer. It's not a simplistic formula. Lament, however, invites us to keep praying. It also invites us to keep struggling in our prayers. And thirdly, the psalmist teaches us that we should pray our questions, that we should keep um, asking these questions of God in our prayer. Look at verse 5. The psalmist writes, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. You ever know someone that goes through something so painful, so hard that uh, the circumstances 
surface all kinds of questions and perhaps even doubts in their minds about God and the things of God. I think that might be going on with the psalmist at this point. He, he's wrestling with why God isn't doing more in his life with whatever he has going on. And he tells us what he's doing. He's thinking. He's reflecting. He's trying to remember God's past mercies and deliverances. So that means he's experienced some of the goodness of God, some of the benefits of a person of faith. But right in this moment, he's having a hard time remembering, like, how long has it been since God favored me and and helped me? He's having a hard time getting to the spot where he previously was, where he felt like God was favorable to him. So in verse six, in particular, he searches his own heart. And then that leads to, to some some more rhetorical questions. Verse seven, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he be favorable ever again? Has his loving kindness ceased to me forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious or has he in his anger withdrawn compassion? He's distraught. And because God is not seemingly answering him, responding to him in any kind of way, at least so he feels, he feels that the Lord has completely left him, forsaken him, and, and he's on his own. And honestly, this is kind of dark, right? I mean, do you get that same feeling that these are dark, dark thoughts that uh, the psalmist is expressing to us and perhaps that he's feeling about his own thing that's going on? Now, let's ask ourselves, does the psalmist really believe that God isn't loving, that that, that God doesn't keep his promise, that God is unfaithful to the promises that he's promised uh, the the, the people of God for the, the millennia before that? I don't think so. And the rest of the psalm, if you've read four, uh, as we've we heard from the scripture reader, uh, proves that this is is not necessarily true. But here's where he does something that I think is really important. And here it is. He prays honestly. He prays honestly. Now, if you've been in the church for a couple of days, perhaps you've learned this by now, that oftentimes us Christians, we don't pray honestly. We offer trite prayers that we think other people, like, you know, we pray how people expect us to pray. We, we pray prayers that, um, that we gain the sense that, uh, that, that sound flowery, that, that a little, we add a little pompous to it, right? Not necessarily fake prayers, but I don't know if we're completely honest in our prayers. This psalmist prays honestly. That even in the pain and suffering of the moment, he recognizes through his questioning of God a couple things. He recognizes that his emotions are true. Like what I'm feeling, this is like real stuff. I'm distraught. I, I don't. I, I don't sense that God is near me. It feels like like He's left me completely. But then he comes to the reality that you know what? Although I feel this way, what I'm feeling is not based on truth. I'm no stranger to feeling like this. So. Probably half of my life up to my the time where I went into full time ministry was in the army. I served as an army officer for, uh, you know, a, a whole career um, more than many of you have been alive. Um, you, you all are young. It's OK. Um, and it, I don't say that to, you know, to make you think highly or, or hopefully not lowly of me. Um, but, you know, obviously, 
if, if I serve that long, uh, there's an opportunity for, there are several opportunities for me to deploy. I spent four years and seven, four, mo- four years and seven months of my life in Iraq. And um, don't, don't have pity on a soldier when he deploys. Uh, that person is joining the Army probably to do that very thing. And deployments are where you get to do what you've been trying to do in the Army. Uh, it was during my last deployment, uh, I was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. I was a battalion commander, so I was commanding, uh, you know, hundreds of, of men and women um, going, to, going to combat in Iraq. I left when my wife was seven months pregnant. And our pregnancies have always, our pregnancies, my wife's pregnancies, they were rough. Uh, they, they all ended in cesarean section. So we knew, we had a scheduled C-section. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to get to come back because of my duty and my position. Um, so uh, it, here's a due date. I'm listening on the phone. It's January 9th. Um, I'm listening over the phone. She's in the room. You know, they're conducting the, the, the cesarean section. And... Fortunately, everything goes well. We have a friend of ours that's a nurse that's in there with her. We have family and friends that were taking care of my two boys at home. Uh, all seems to have gone well, and, and thank God it did because obviously I'm halfway across the world. A couple days later, my wife somehow gets in touch with me and lets me know that she has developed uh, preeclampsia. And so uh, I don't know the intricacies of preeclampsia other than I know that um, there's, there's swelling and high blood pressure, blood, uh, blood pressure, and it's a condition for which uh, you can actually die. And like all the life in me just like <sighs> just went out. Why? Because I wasn't there. I wasn't there to help my wife, to be with my wife, to care for her, and to, to, to actually see this newborn of ours. So my wife's in the hospital for a couple days. Um, it, it was an emotionally distraught time for me. And I'm asking these questions, Lord, like, all right, so we've been through this before. And and why did you wait until I'm deployed to to have my wife grow through this difficult time and go through it without me? Why would you do that? Well, why would you put us through this kind of circumstance and this pain? Now, the the truth, that that was my emotion, right? That's the, 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 the depth of the emotion that I was feeling. Was that the, 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 what was the truth about all that? We had family and friends there. She was at a, uh, uh, an army hospital, one of the best in, you know, of all the army, Fort Bragg. And we had family and friends that were taking care of our kids. And uh, my daughter, when my wife went into the hospital, she, uh, the, my, my, my newborn couldn't be in there with her. They wouldn't admit our two, three-day-old baby. But I had friends that were painstakingly um, taking care of my little daughter, taking her to the hospital to breastfeed, and then taking her back and taking care of her. So everything seemed to be all right. My emotions were at their worst, but the truth was that God really had taken care of us. Here's where the psalmist turns. The psalm turns in verse 10. Then I said, I will appear to this, to the years of the right hand of the Lord Most High. I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The psalmist is showing us in all that we feel and all the questions that we have, there comes this point where we have to call to mind not just what we feel in, in, the, in the thrust of the moment, but what we actually know to be true, particularly what we know to be true, not just about our circumstance, what we know to be true about our God. And the entire psalm shifts with this word, this first word in verse 10, the word then. Then. 
And so he's looking back and he's reflecting. That's what verse 12 tells us. He's meditating. What is he meditating on? He's meditating on the works of God that have come to that point in his life and the life of the nation of Israel, God's people, before that. He's remembering verse 11. What is he remembering? He's remembering probably the stories of the, of, of the, of the people of Israel. He's remembering the prayers of the, of the ancients and how they prayed to God. He's remembering how God has has come through in his own life. He's remembering all the ways that his people, but also probably in his own life, God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And after he remembers and meditates on all these things, these things that God has done, here's what he does. He shifts the very character of God. And he starts to think about that. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are a God who works Wonders, you've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. I can imagine the psalmist saying to himself, All right, Lord, I know the way that you do things is not the way that I would do it, and I'll cry, Uncle. Like, your way is the right way. I see how you've dealt with your people in the past. I'm trying to see how you're dealing with me right now, but this is the thing that I know for sure you are a God that redeems. You are a God that redeems. One author says he meditates until he believes. The psalmist thinks until he knows. The psalmist, he he seeks until he finds and he prays until he's able to feel it in his bones. I wonder, do we ever interact with God to that extent? Do we put that much into our consternation and our pain that we would hang in there with God until we feel some kind of Breakthrough, some kind of levity that God is actually there. We don't even feel like he's not. But that's the way forward for this psalmist. And he's showing us that that's the way forward for us, for you and me. The psalmist looks back to remember how God has dealt with him so that he can walk into a future in trust of this same God who has not changed. Today, the same today, forever and always. And here's the last thing he does. After he comes to this recollection, he prays the gospel. Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Perhaps you can see what the psalmist is doing. He's actually recalling the greatest scene of redemption in the Old Testament. Israel's great rescue from, from slavery, out of, the, out of bondage in, in Egypt. He's recalling one of the, the ultimate moments that defines Israel and their relationship with God. When God takes them on dry land, having escaped an enemy that was going to bring them to their death and, and, and at the violently caused a, a sea that was impassable to, to rise up so that this horde of people could walk through on dry land. And once they get to the other side, what does he do? He causes that water to cave in on their enemy, decimating them and, 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 and bringing them again to safety. He's recalling this great rescue. And, and here's what he draws from that. He draws that if God can rescue his people through such an incident as an impassable sea, then that same God can be my shepherd in, in, in the valley in the shadow 
of death for my own life. I think there's a great irony for those, for any of you that, that are struggling with anything that, that you might consider hard. There's a comfort that the, that the psalmist is trying to give us. And the, and, the, and the irony is that like them, we have something far, far greater to look back to that, that can bring us comfort. In fact, we don't have to look back to it. We look up to it. Right. It's the cross. We can run to the cross because there we find comfort. We can look up to the cross because it's the antidote to our sin and to our grief. That, that sin and grief is absorbed in the person and work of Jesus. We can find ultimate deliverance in the cross. Because this is where many of our questions find their answers. The cross is where we should take all of our heartache and pain. Why? Because in the cross, God shows us that God has already proven himself to be for us and not against us. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 8, verse 36. He says, it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's one interesting thing that Paul is doing here in Romans 8, particularly in verse 36. He's lamenting. Paul is sharing with us a lament, quoting from Psalm 44. And, and, and the psalmist in Psalm 44 is, is saying that, hey, it's as if my life has been tossed up as if it's meaningless. I feel like, like it's inevitable. I'm going to be killed. I'm like a sheep that someone is waiting to slaughter me. And Paul utters those words from the psalmist before he rhetorically reminds himself, that's not the case. But, but even if it is the case, I have this great promise from our God that there's nothing, nothing that can separate me from his love because he's proven that to me. And so the promise for, for all of us who are believers in Jesus is as glorious as it is deep, that Jesus bought the right to make everything right. And even if, as Paul says, we're killed all the day long, or even if, as Paul says, we're like sheep going to a slaughter, Paul is convinced, and therefore we should be convinced, that there's nothing, no sorrow, no disappointment, not even a, a global pandemic disease like the coronavirus, no betrayal, not even death itself can separate us from God's love. And so prayers of meant celebrate this truth, although it celebrates it with tears. And so let me conclude with, with this, and this is just an encouragement to you. Uh, I, I don't know what the, the particulars of your life are. I think all of us go through hard things. And because we're different people with different temperaments and different capacities, sometimes one will go through something and it feels like immensely hard, and then someone will go through something and it, you know, we, we don't even think we need any help to get over it. But all of us need the opportunity. We all, we all need this tool, this, this ability to grow in our capacity to lament. And if you're lamenting, that means uh, it, it could get messy. It could be messy. It might feel forced. It might make you feel uncomfortable. But my encouragement is that when life gets tough, don't negate the, the 
the privilege that you have to talk to God, like out loud, as the psalmist would say, perhaps even howling. Don't allow the fears that you have, your despair, perhaps your track record of being silent to to God. Cut off the flow of grace that he's offering to you and don't uh, don't negate this demonstration from the psalmist to be completely honest and open and real and risky with the Lord about the difficulties of your life. Our pain can be a path toward God if we allow lament to be our new language. And so the psalmist encourages us, keep wrestling, keep struggling, and whatever you do, don't stop talking to God. Keep praying. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're a God that never leaves us and you promise not to forsake us. We got to be honest. Sometimes it feels like you have. Our, Our hearts often question and doubt what you're doing. But yet, God, give us consolation by your spirit, the spirit that dwells in us, that that you're near and that you continue to draw near to us, even when our prayers feel like they're hitting a difficult ceiling. Lord, comfort all of us, particularly those in this room that are going through some kind of difficulty right now. Comfort us in the trials of our lives by the knowledge of who you are and what you've done on the cross. Jesus, we thank you for your redemption. We thank you that you've borne in your body all the pain and discomfort and, uh, and the fears that, that we have. And we give those freely to you tonight. And so, Lord, we, we, uh, we just proclaim today that you are our strength and you are our hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.